blessing to worship our awesome and glorious Savior. What a Savior. Uh, just a couple announcements as we get started. Uh, we, are, we have postponed the creche until Sunday week. So that's happening, God willing. We're uh, just getting the final things put together. Uh, and also, I'd like to invite Bob up. He's just going to give a little rundown of the, in, the uh, biblical theology course that he's going to be doing soon. So, Bob, come up and explain. 20 minutes, right? <laughs> no, he told me two minutes, so I'll do two minutes. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do a, a biblical theology course. Um, it's the same as the Calvary Chapel Bible College. We just moved it down a little bit. So we took some uh, uh, courses at least out of that. Um, and the reason why theology is so important is because, first of all, we need to know what we believe, and secondly, why we believe it. Jesus had the same issues with people. I'll just give you a, a snippet of what happened when the Sadducees came and asked him a question about, you know, what happens when um, someone dies and, you know, say one uh, a woman was married to a man and he dies and then it goes to the next brother, the next brother, the next brother. They had a question about theology. Here's Jesus' response about theology. Uh, Matthew 22, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, he's talking to the Sadducees. These are people who know the law. They know what's going on. And he said, you are mistaken. You go, seriously? These people had it wrong. And he said, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So they, even though they were, they were men of God, they were wrong. And it's important to know theology, what you believe and why you believe it. We're doing it on Tuesday, Tuesday night at my house for the young people, okay? Originally, we're doing it for the young uh, college-age guys and girls. We decided let's do it on Sunday just in case they can't make it. Some people work on Tuesday nights. So we open it up to here after church, and anyone who wants to be involved can come in. And we'll, we'll look at things like, well, who is Jesus? What's the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Um, eschatology, the return of Jesus Christ. Um, we'll look at grace, because grace is so important. It's important for all of us to understand what grace is. And it, even 20-some-odd years walking with the Lord, I still struggle with grace. And so it's important that we do this. But I encourage you, if you have the time, and even if you don't have the time, make the time. Because these simple doctrines, they're so important for us as we grow in Christ. And you never get tired of them. It's like Jesus. You just don't get tired of them. And you don't get tired of his power of salvation every day. Um, so if you have questions about it, let me know. I do ask you to let me know ahead of time because I got about 40 pages to print out. It'll go for about 10 weeks, give or take, depending on how fast we go. And we'll, if we have to break during Christmas, we'll do that too. So, yeah, but I need to print off things. So if you know ahead of time you want to get involved, let me know. And that way I can do it. Okay, Ben? What time would it be? It'll be around 12, 12 o'clock. One, one o'clock, somewhere around there. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. All right. Good stuff. Highly recommended. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray. 
Thank you, Father, for your word, that by knowing the scriptures, we hear of the power of God, and I pray that we would uh, just experience that power through receiving your love and receiving the gospel. And thank you that you have abolished death and that you've brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Thank you for all that you do and how you open our eyes to see the truth, how you work your wonders in and through our lives and how you bring us, uh, you mature us and you test us and you teach us. And I pray that we would be teachable today as we read your word, as we open it and consider these things to apply it to our lives and Open our eyes to see your worthiness, Lord, how awesome you are, how great and glorious in every way. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Genesis 22, starting in verse one. Like Bob said about making the time, learning to wisely prioritize is important. And sometimes we can procrastinate over the thing we should make the priority. Has anyone ever done that? I have done that. I might be doing that. Uh, like we could procrastinate about home repairs or a school assessment or booking an appointment with uh, the doctor or the dentist or um, like organizing the garage. You're like, you walk through it and you're like, this needs to change. But you just keep walking. You, you don't stop. Or cleaning the oven or barbecue. Like you just, the, the time you realize it needs cleaning is when you're about to cook. And so you clean it, but then you, you don't necessarily take time to give it a thorough cleaning. And it's like the ironic thing is we can justify procrastinating when we prioritize the wrong thing. It's like the kid that's told to go clean out his closet and spends the next few hours playing with everything in their closet, being reintroduced to new toys. Well, toys that are, they forgot that they had that they're suddenly very enamored with. And so their priority is fun and playing. There's not a lot of organizing. There's no culling happening it's the, the priorities are wrong, right? Uh, and something that helps me with prioritizing is a matter of urgency. It's like, let's say you plan to do yard work and so you set your alarm and you get up early and you're, you're prioritizing weeding over sleeping. Amazing, some people actually do this. So they prioritize weeding and they get up and they're like, We're, we gotta get this done. And they get up in the morning and they... They start working and then in the sun for a while, get a bit woozy, get a bit sun, a little bit of overheating. So now there's a new priority, getting rehydrated, getting into the shade. So that, that new priority has changed the original priority as a matter of urgency. Like if I don't take a rest, I could pass out, I could faint. Or you might get an urgent phone call that needs immediate attention. Now your priorities have shifted again as a matter of urgency. So it's a good question to consider what priority does, have, does God have in my life and obeying him as a matter of urgency? Is that my priority? Now in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus spoke of many things that we make priorities. He didn't just pull these out of a hat. These are legitimate. People lay up treasures for themselves on earth. They, they want to have food in the fridge and clothes on their backs. They work to fill a storehouse with grain or to have glory like Solomon had. But Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 6, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. The world is prioritizing things that will be spent, things that will not endure. But Jesus directed his disciples to seek God and his kingdom his righteousness, to walk in his ways, the things that will endure. 
God's the one who feeds the birds. He's the one who clothes the flowers with beauty and glory. And he's able to provide all that pertains to life and godliness. So there's this new priority that Jesus has brought into our lives to obey God and to trust God. And so this, this obedience ought to mark our lives too. And amazingly, this prioritizing obedience to God, because when we think of obedience, we can think of work. And we don't all like work. We say, oh, that sounds like work. Like it's a bad thing. Well, well, it, it sometimes is not a very fun thing, right? Because we're prioritizing fun rather than working. But that place is a place of rest. It's a place free from anxiety. It's a place of perfect peace and obedience to God. It's ironic that in working and laboring with him, that's where we find rest for our souls. It's in Christ, a life of abundance by his grace. And God and his promises are infinitely more productive than we can be by trying or striving or fighting. We see in our passage today, Abraham obeying God is a matter of urgency. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. The passage begins with, and it came to pass after these things. So we ask, what things? Now, in the previous chapters, a lot has been going on in the life of Abraham. He saw God's promise fulfilled in the birth of Isaac to his wife, Sarah, who had been previously barren. He had been rebuked by Abimelech because he lied about their marital status. Uh, he had given Ishmael to Hagar and sent them on their way in obedience to the Lord. And he had also settled a dispute with Abimelech over a well of water and made a covenant with him. It says he planted a tree uh, at the well Beersheba and he called on the name of the Lord. So there's this process day by day that he is in, he is uh, experiencing and it's a soul-searching journey and step-by-step step that we can lose sight of. That God was preparing him. God was leading him to this moment in time where it's like, and now God tested him. He had brought him through a lot of things to prepare him for this test that he knew he could pass by God's grace. So it's like God adequately prepared him. God was with him. God was helping him. And now he's going to test him. He called in the name of the everlasting God and God called him by his new name, Abraham. Remember his name was Abram. He calls him Abraham, father of nations. And he says, here I am. He's like a servant at the ready. He's ready to obey God and do what he says. And God says, now take your son, your only son, the one you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. So we see in God's eyes, Ishmael is not in the picture. He's not referring to Ishmael. He's referring to a specific son, like your only son, the one you love, Isaac, the one that I promised through, uh, through him, your descendants would come. Impossible to fathom, right? Like they've waited 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. Now he has grown to be an adolescent. Some say even as old as 30, 35. They really don't know exactly precisely his age. 
But this directive, I mean, how would you respond to something like this? I would, I would probably say something, but we don't see Abraham saying anything to God in response. This directive to sacrifice his son and ignored God's previous prohibition of murder in Genesis 9, 5, and 6 and the reckoning that would come upon all those who shed the blood of men, those created in God's image. Isaac had not committed any crime worthy of death. God didn't give an explanation why. He didn't say why this was important or necessary. All that Abraham had was God, God's promise, and faith to trust and obey God. Without question, knowing that God is good, he's righteous and faithful, Abraham did exactly as God said. It says he rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, he took two servants, his son Isaac, he split the wood himself, he arose and went to the place God showed him. And we see this as a pattern in the life of Abraham. Like when God said, hey, circumcise yourself and all the males of your house, he did it that same day. When he said you need to uh, give you need to send Ishmael away. Listen to your wife. It says he rose early in the morning and set, sent them on their way and saw them off. And here God says, offer your son as a burnt offering. And he rose up early to do it. I mean, these are inspiring, escalating examples of faith, right? It's like cutting away skin, sending away your son, now killing your son, offering him as a burnt offering. I like what Pastor David Guzik said in the Enduring Word Commentary. He said that Abraham learned to trust in God who promised rather than the promise. That it wasn't trusting the promise as much as the God who gave him the promise. The God who gave him a son, he obeyed him. And sometimes we think it falls on us to bring God's promise to pass. That we need to do something to accomplish it. But see, God is going to do that and we can trust him and obey him. When God makes a promise, we can get tripped up, can't we? And like, how is that going to happen? How can that possibly be? We can hesitate and procrastinate and, and even refuse to obey because we don't see how our actions could be furthering what we want to happen or what we see God has said would happen. We don't see how those things correlate at all. So it's like, you're going to make me a great nation through this kid and then you want me to have him as a burnt offering. Like, how do those two go together at all? Well, decades later, Abraham had left his family in his homeland. And God said, I'll go to the land of which I will show you. And he did, not knowing where he was going. He knew the God who led him. And now that God says, take your son, your only son, your beloved son, and go offer him on the mountain that I will show you. And he did. So our obedience, we, just such a good example that our obedience to God should not be contingent on our approval of God's plans or understanding how it could possibly benefit us or accomplish anything for his glory. Just believing him, trusting him. We obey God because of who God is. Because our lives have been redeemed and purchased by him. That all we have is his Faith takes action according to God's word, believing he will do the impossible. Not that he can do it, he will do it because he has promised, he is faithful. Verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. He took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. On the third day, Abraham, he lifts his eyes. He sees the place. God's like, that's the spot. It was a place far off, believed to be the Mount, Mor- Mount Moriah or the t- where the Temple Mount currently is standing in Jerusalem. After 80 kilometers of a trek, they come up across this place. And you think day after day, he had days to consider what was going to happen, what he had to do. And I can say without question, I've never faced a trial of this gravity, ever. To kill your only son as a burnt offering. And think of all the things that we've agonized over of far less importance, right? Agonized over, should I invite this person to my wedding? Should I buy my daughter the dress, the shoes, or both? Oh, How about, should I choose the beef, the chicken, or the vegetarian bowl? And we're just in all sorts trying to figure it out. What should we do? This isn't like that at all, right? This is a huge step up. It's it's not even comparable. It's a huge thing that he's been asked. I remember a coworker of mine, he was telling me a story. He had this difficult decision if he should have the vet administer antivenom when his dog was bit by a rattlesnake. I think he lived in New Mexico at the time. But he was told, it's $400 for the shot. It might work, it might not work. We don't know. We just have to try it. And he's like, oh, so he sees his family and his kids are upset. And he's like, you know, all right, I'll be the bad guy if I don't do this. So give him the shot. He gets the news that the dog has recovered slightly, but still not out of the woods at all. It, it's, he says, I have a really, uh, now I'm pretty confident that if we give him one more shot, Another $400, that dog's going to pull through. Pretty sure. Not positive, but could happen. Now, this guy that he's telling this to, like, if something's 20 bucks, it's $15 too much. Like, it's painful for him. And so hearing this again, he's like, oh, man, how, how many dogs could we purchase with this amount of money? And he's trying to bargain with his kids, saying, you know. Blah, blah. But anyway, he's like, all right, pull the trigger, do it. And the dog pulled through, thankfully. And he's like, I am so protective of that dog. (laughs) If anything happens to that dog, I'll be really upset. And so he's very invested now in a way that he was never invested before. Um, And and I'm sure that on the third day, it was no easier for Abraham. It was maybe harder every day. Every day he's traveling closer and closer to this destination. It's getting harder. It's not getting easier. But he kept going. He pressed on in faith. God was with him every step. And he said with his young man, he said, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go and worship and we will come back to you. That's an amazing thing to say, knowing what you were going to do. He was not pretending to go through with this. In his mind, it was already done. Abraham had determined what he was going to do. He has the wood. He has the fire for the wood. He has the knife in his hand. 
He's going all the way. He takes the wood of the offering. He lays on an Isaac. That shows that he was a fit and able-bodied man to be able to carry the load that the donkey had been carrying previously. And they went away alone, possibly to prevent anyone from intervening and hindering Abraham from obeying God. He didn't want anyone stepping in. This was between them and God. Now turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. It gives us some insight into Abraham's thoughts as he's making this journey, as he's approaching Mount Moriah and what's going through his head. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham had witnessed God's answer to prayer and his fulfillment of promises in Isaac being born. And he concluded, he figured God is able to raise him from the dead. After he is killed, after he is burned, God can raise him from the dead. The King James, it says, accounting. He accounting that God was able. It's like he did the sums. He did the figures. They all checked out. He's like, dead, but the God who makes alive. God is able to raise him from the dead. Medically impossible, right? But with God, all things are possible. There's no such thing as a small miracle. There's no, it's something that we cannot do. Even if it's unnoticed by men, that is God's doing, the miraculous. Verse seven, but Isaac, back in Genesis 22, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. They came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his knife, excuse me, stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So they walked to the place that God had shown him and Isaac's like, hold on, dad, my, and, and notice how they speak to each other. It's like my, my father and my son, they have this really close relationship and bond. And he says, Hey, we have the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? It shows that he was familiar with everything that's necessary for a sacrifice. He had been involved in many of these. He'd observed them before. And Abraham said, the Lord God, he will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Now this question and this answer shows that Abraham had not told Isaac what he was planning to do. He didn't know. He hadn't told him. And there's such tenderness between them. And we see a man at rest in Abraham where he is resting in God. He's trusting in him. And we see Isaac also trusting his father where he's like, well, where are we going to find that? He's not answer, He's not asking much of questions. He's going say, well, that's dumb. We have tons of lambs. We should have just brought one. Like, th- so there's no arguing. There's just acceptance is accepting what he said. Yes, God will. And they arrived at the place that God had told Abraham about. 
the altars built, and what a large altar it was. A big altar, like for a lamb. It's pretty sizable, and placed the wood in order. Bound his son Isaac, laid him on the wood. Now, can you imagine that moment where he's, he's put all the stones there. They've arranged the wood just so. And all this time, Isaac's had his eyes peeled looking for this lamb. Where is this lamb? And he's like, his eyes look at him. He's like, you are the burnt offering. You are the sacrifice that God has required. I imagine he looked to him with a teary eye and a quavering voice, probably like mine. And I'm, I'm sure that he would have preferred to have been the one bound himself and a burnt offering so that his son could live. But he bound him, and Isaac submitted to be bound, and he lifted him, and he placed him on the wood. Isaac did not run away, he did not fight, he did not cry out. And that fact that Isaac was bound, it shows a degree of willing submission to what his father had said. Like, this is what God requires. Okay. He reached out, he picks up the knife with intent to end his son's life. And many of us would not admit, we would say we cannot do this. We could not do this if God asked us. We would choose disobedience to God rather just so we could preserve the life of our beloved son. That that reveals a serious shortfall of our faith. If we say, I would choose disobedience over obedience to God. Now both Abraham and Isaac, they exceeded in their faith. Abraham was willing to obey God by sacrificing his son. Isaac was willing to be a burnt offering because God required it. Knowing that God is worthy to receive obedience, to receive what he demands, that is important for us to recognize. And if we say we could not do as he did, it betrays a lack of faith in the power of God to help us to do everything God has called us to do. God is able to help us do everything he has called us to, even if we don't understand, even if it's way too hard for us. Yes, it is, but through him, it's possible. Not only the the obedience, but the the redemption, the reconciliation, the, the restoration It's better that we would admit, I will not or I would not do what God commands and repent of that than to justify our unbelief and disobedience. I mean, as Abraham, he was cut to the heart to take the life of his son. Let us be cut to the heart that we would not, we will not obey God when he says something because he's worthy of that. We have, he has pointed out sin that we should have cut off, but we haven't. We didn't. Like Ananias and Sapphira under the guise of full surrender, we have held something back. We have given some, but not all. And what a testimony of God's worthiness to obey that convicts us, but inspires us to follow an encouragement. Like this is, this is what it looks like a life of surrender, a life of obedience, a life of the fear of God. 
And it's such a foreshadowing of Christ who set his face like a flint to go up to Jerusalem, knowing he was the sacrifice, that he would die on a cross, that he would rise again from the dead to redeem sinners by his grace. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham, he picks up the knife. The angel of the Lord calls out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Abraham's fear of God, it's demonstrated by obedience to God. Matthew Henry wrote this, the best evidence of our fearing God is our being willing to serve and honor him with that which is dearest to us. In this passage, it shows that the angel of the Lord is more than just an ordinary angel because um, he says, you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So there's this pre-incarnate uh, Christ speaking now, uh, the son of God speaking as in other times in the Old Testament. And, and we might ask, well, God, you know everything. Why would you have him go through this ordeal? Like, you know that he's going to pass the test, but he still has to go through it. Why? It's true. God does know everything. The testing of Abraham confirmed what God knew to be true. He knew he would pass. He knew he would, he would obey God. God required this trial for his purposes. When we think of tests at school... We often think of it as information regurgitation. It's like, you know the facts, you spit out the facts. You just answer the questions right, good. But if you don't do it right and you fail the course, well, you've got to sit the test again. It's all about just getting the information right so that you can move on, pretty much. But that's hardly the scope for the tests God gives. In the life of Job, God had him go through this painful trial. For the express purpose of revealing his compassion and his mercy to Job, to his friends, and for everyone who would ever read his story. For those who suffer, for those who witness suffering, that they would realize that just because he's suffering, it doesn't mean he has sinned in God's sight. He prays for his friends and they're restored. It's not just for Job. It's not just for him to get through it. It's for us. It's for him and us and the glory of God so that we could know something about God. Those who sit the test, I think of nurses in our fellowship or others who have passed exams or have qualifications. It's not just for their benefit or for their careers. It's for the people they are going to treat. That's why they're passing the test, not just so they can be a nurse, but so that the people they're nursing will be ministered to and not uh, treated poorly, right? It's more than just for them. It's for everyone. It's the whole system that relies upon them being qualified. 
The test Abraham endured, it was not just for him, it's for our benefit. And the tests God gives are different than the tests we do that are just to evaluate students. It's to teach us, to strengthen and encourage us to build our faith, to exercise it. So as Abraham's faith is exercised, ours can be inspired to be exercised because we have this example. So as he's there, and what a testimony we see between the, the father and son as well, right? The testimony of Abraham who offered up his son. And it, from his son's perspective, my dad would do that because of God. And God's worthy of that. As he is there, he notices a ram caught in the thicket and he offers that instead of his son. So the knife that was going to be used to cut his son's throat, he then cuts the bonds, places the ram, offers it as a sacrifice to God. And for this reason, Abraham, he calls the place Jehovah Jireh or God will provide, the Lord will provide. And even to the day when Moses penned this book, it was commonly said in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So of all the things that he could have named the mount, he called it the place that God provides. God did the providing and he provided the whole time. He provided the test. He provided the faith. He provided the strength. He provided the ram. He provided the demonstration of his provision. He did it all. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as of the sand, which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So the angel of the Lord speaks a second time and he swears by himself, the Lord, we see he is the Lord here because you've done this thing. You have not withheld your son, your only son. I will bless you. Multiply your descendants. They will possess the gate of their enemy. So God's doubling down on the promise that he's made to Abraham already. He's saying, you know, I'm going to continue blessing you. I'm going to fulfill my word to you. In you, the nations will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And it's like, God's going to bless anyway. But his obedience allowed the blessing to come through him to all nations. It led to that promise being fulfilled. And I'm really struck by God's choice of words. He doesn't credit him for offering up his son because it, it, he, he puts it in another way. He says, you have not withheld your son from me. We can imagine ourselves faithful because we've given, but what about what we withheld? That's a better indication of how obedient we are. Our fear of God, our loyalty to him is best seen in what we do not withhold from the Lord because to obey is better than sacrifice. Abraham receives the blessing of obedience, not that the test is over, but seeing and knowing that God will provide. God will provide as he has promised. Not, not, and, and I like this, that the Lord will provide. It's not he has provided, he can provide, he might provide, it's he will provide. 
it, there's, there's hope in that for the future, in our everlasting God that he will provide. This is who he is. He's a God who provides. There's this, this obedience led to a fresh revelation of who God is. Let's not miss this. That obedience to God opens our eyes to who God is in truth. Like God has provided, he will, he will provide. I imagine as they walked down from that mountain to the two servants, they were rejoicing. I, I, I can only see them just hugging as they're walking along. Like, wow, we heard God speak. We saw God move. He provided that ram. It wasn't like Isaac running away from Abraham because he's afraid. He, he's like, he's got the knife again, right? No, there's this, there's this trust. There's this Wow, just amazing what God has done. And I'm sure they gave them, they told them the whole story, the whole, because then they had a time to reflect three days as they're going back to Beersheba where he dwelt. God provides. He blesses all who obey him. And the blessing of Abraham has come to us through the gospel. We're beneficiaries of his obedience and our lives are a testimony of God's provision. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3. All 66 books of the Bible, they're united as God's word and they help us to interpret scripture with scripture. And in his letter to the Galatians, Paul marveled how these Christians, born again by grace through faith in Christ, they had returned to the law in an attempt to justify themselves as a measure of their righteousness. So they're trying to keep the law of Moses, which could only condemn them to try to justify themselves. And the simplicity of the gospel, it had been polluted by legalism. And Paul went back before Jesus, before Moses, and he goes back to Abraham and to this incident. Galatians 3, verse 8 and 9. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So there was a promise that God made to all nations, not just to the Jewish people, not just to Abraham's descendants, but to all nations. And he's saying that uh, this was preached to Abraham before the gospel was ever preached in the New Testament. And even as God knew the mountain Abraham was to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, God knew the place where he would provide his only begotten son as a sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ. And so this gospel message is justification for all. It's blessing for all people, not just for the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Because in Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Now look, if you move forward in verse 15, he says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many, but as one and to your seed who is Christ. Paul explained the deals that people make amongst themselves and once they're agreed to and sealed, they remain in force. It's kind of like when you have a mobile phone plan and uh, you would, you, your plan stays the same regardless of any new deals that come out. 
and you're like, that new deal is better than my old deal. But oh, I wish I could have that new deal. But no, you have to stick with your plan unless you get a whole new contract. So it's like, if, you, if we make an agreement, it doesn't matter who else makes agreements, that original agreement stands. So God has made this original agreement with Abraham that it's in full force, and it's been fulfilled through Christ. We see it fulfilled there. Now, when he said, to your seed, Abraham's probably thinking Isaac, right? Makes sense. He's his seed. He's his son. He's the one through whom his descendants would come. But now Paul in the New Testament, he says, that seed he's referring to is Jesus. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Abraham said that God would provide for himself a lamb for the offering. But a ram is not a lamb. A ram is an adult Male sheep. This is a lamb. The lamb of God who takes away for the, the sins of the world. So his words are speaking prophetically of the lamb of God. A physical descendant of Abraham who is infinitely spiritually superior to his son. And through whom all nations would be blessed. So Mount Moriah we have a savior promised that we see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That lost sinners can be born again. Those who are dead in sins can be raised to new life. God is able to do that. And Paul concludes in Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now let that sink in. So the seed that he's talking about is Christ, but he's saying, but if you are in Christ, you're, he's talking about you. You are included in that because you are the seed. You are a co-heir with Christ. Through your obedience to God, all nations will be blessed. Wild. That God would be, he would make in blessing us, he would bless others. In Jesus, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. And because we've obeyed his voice, we have come to him. He now is blessing us and the nations. And to this day, he speaks through us his word, gives his Holy Spirit to our hearts. He helps us to obey everything that he's commanded. Awesome. Amazing. If, God, if God's word didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. But he said it. So we must believe it. God has said. Now Abraham, he intended to do all that God commanded him. God went all the way in providing his son, his only son, his beloved son, who willingly carried his cross. He submitted to having nails driven through his hands and his feet, whose blood poured out. He breathed his last Three days later, he rises from the grave glorified, thus proving his ability to give eternal life to all who trust in him. I mean, how blessed we are by Christ's obedience. Consider the blessing of obedience. We have received that because he obeyed God. It isn't because we owe God anything. It's because of the abundance of his grace and mercy and love that he's lavished upon us. The mercy we have received through the gospel, we respond to that with love in following him and obeying him. Because really, we owe God everything, right? But it's not just trying to make up for what 
he has blessed us with. That's not our motive anymore to try to reconcile. We were dead. He has made us alive. He has purchased us as his own possession. And in light of the obedience of Abraham, Isaac, Jesus to the Father, let's heed Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I mean, Abraham couldn't have known how God would use his obedience and how through that all the nations would be blessed. But as heirs according to the promise, we know for certain that through our humble obedience, God will bring blessing upon all. That's the promise that we need to lay hold of. He believed, out of my son, he's going to make a great nation. Well, God's saying, by your obedience, all the nations will be blessed. Let's believe him. Let's obey him. Let's work out our own salvation with fear and trembling in the fear of God. Let's put it to the test. Let's exercise in light of the gospel, loving others as we've received from him. That requires faith. Us laying down our lives, presenting ourselves to him as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service. So the provision of the gospel, his salvation, forgiveness, that's all God's work. And God works in us both to will and do of his good pleasure. So let's make obedience to God a matter of priority, one of urgency, because he is worthy. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this example of faith. Lord, how, how wonderful it is to see people, people like Abraham and Isaac and Jesus who obeyed you, who just believed you. And Lord, forgive us, forgive me when I have balked at things where I should have obeyed where I disobeyed, where I didn't believe, where I asked questions and procrastinated and, and was not obedient at all. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, you are patient, that you are long-suffering and you are gentle and so compassionate, knowing our frame, that we are but dust. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us Christ, that we are co-heirs with him, that we are his and he is ours and we are one in the body of Christ, the church. And thank you for the unity that we have and and also for our common frailties as human beings, that our need for you is immense. And I pray you would show us how great, how much greater our need for you is than we even think it is. So that we might rely upon you more. We might seek you more. We might seek to obey you promptly and urgently because you are worthy of such sacrifices. Lord, I pray we would not withhold anything from you, but we would lay ourselves down before you, just desiring you would have your way in our hearts. Thank you for your encouragement today. Thank you for the demonstration of faith, and I pray that our lives too would fulfill this passage to bring blessing on us and those around us for your glory. To the end of the earth, Lord, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.